a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike, episode 11. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Thank you so much for joining us. Can I tell you, I told you in the last segment that we were going to wait a little while to get back to this cursive topic, but I I asked for your submissions. I asked for your opinion. I asked you to text in and send uh, notes via the, the Facebook page, and there's a good one right here I want to read. Steve uh, writes in via Facebook. He says, I would vote yes. So the question being, should we bring cursive back to elementary schools or should it be uh, something uh, that's taught to students in a mandatory sense? Steve writes, I would vote yes and also teach children, which this is the parents' responsibility, not to grow up being spoiled, rotten, entitled little brats who snack on Tide Pods for a hobby. Uh, Steve's winning the comment contest for the day. There are hundreds more, though. It, this is incredible. So we, we, we talk about serious issues here and sometimes uh, softer issues. I am slow to call them fluff pieces uh, because we don't do that here. Uh, but, you know, sometimes the topics, uh, you know, they command uh, different levels of, of respect and seriousness. I would put cursive uh, and the debate over cursive in less of the, like, I don't know. It's le- it's a less severe topic, and yet for some reason we are getting uh, inundated with responses. I've been begging over the past few weeks for your input uh, via the Utah Community Credit Union text line at number five seven five zero zero. I've been asking for all kinds of stuff. What should we talk about on the program? Am I uh, still talking too fast? One uh, texter though this morning told me, "Yeah, you are still talking too fast." So I thought I'd had that taken care of. Uh, I'm going to give it a shot uh, today. I'm going to make a more concerted effort to be more. More deliberate in my speech. But that is one of maybe a dozen texts I'm looking at here. All of them on the cursive deal. I have a 10-year-old son. He's left-handed. His cursive writing is better than his regular writing. My great-niece is eight and was taught to learn cursive in school. Yes, cursive should... These are all texts. Cursive should still be taught in school. It ha- well, This is interesting. It helps the child gain hand control. There's a study a couple of years ago that proved cursive does help form connections in the synapses of the brain. Now, that was a text uh, message sent in from a listener, not a peer-reviewed journal. We'll uh, cross-reference that, see if it checks out, to see if cursive, in fact, does help form connections in the synapses of the brain. That's what we do here on Live Mike. Uh, anyway, the topic of this segment uh, is the museum. You've been to Washington, D.C. ever? You know, I, my wife and I, we used to live there. We lived there for about five years. I was a, a congressional aide. I worked for uh, Congressman Rob Bishop. And often I would find myself downtown, Pennsylvania Avenue. You know, that's where the, the White House is. Uh, but it's also the location of the museum. And what is the museum? It uh, For the last number of years, I think it opened up in 2008. So the last, let's say, 11 years or so, it has been the museum in town. Costs about $25 uh, for general admission. You go in there and you see 
uh, different artifacts from big news events in history, portions of the Berlin Wall. Uh, there are, what else? There, I think there are pieces of space shuttle. And there, there's a, a section dedicated to the defense of the First Amendment. And it's all very interesting. Kind of. Uh, I, I, my, in my opinion, the most interesting part is uh, what's on the outside. It's free. You don't have to pay to see this. On the outside of the building, right there on Pennsylvania Avenue. And I did have occasion to pass by this uh, a number of times uh, while I was there. And every chance I got, I would, I would stare at the, at the wall there. Why would I stare at the wall? Because what they display every day on the outside of the museum is the front page of newspapers from around the world. In these big rectangular frames, uh, someone, is, someone has the job of uh, putting up the, the front page each day. And to see how different news outlets, or newspapers rather, uh, the print kind... Uh, you remember those? How they print the news each day uh, is f- absolutely fascinating. So uh, you get to see different biases. You get to see different emphasis. You get to see what different newspapers find to be important. So I very, very much enthralled by the newspapers there on the front of the museum. <clears throat> now, why do I bring that up? There are a number of folks like myself who are not that torn up at the closing of uh, the museum. Uh, what's going to happen? John Hopkins University, they purchased the building. So the museum is moving out. John Hopkins is going to move in and, and do some some work there and have some, uh, I don't know, office space or whatever John Hopkins does. They're like a medical school or something. Anyway, so the museum, on its way out, I uh, am joining my voice along with another number of other folks who are not that shaken up to see it go. I've uh, talked a few times on this program about a hobby of mine where I will sift through archived newspapers. I will sometimes, if I am you know, just trying to uh, kill some time or, or do some learning, I will pick a date, say 50 or 100 years in the past. And uh, I have a subscription to a, a newspaper service, uh, newspapers.com. It's not an ad uh, that I'm making right now. I'm just a big fan of this. It's owned uh, and operated by folks you know, the Ancestry.com uh, folks. But newspapers.com, it's real simple. And I'll just type in a date, and it will give me a list of hundreds of newspapers from a specific date in history. Sometimes I'll narrow that down and just look at Utah papers. Uh, sometimes I'll do topics. Uh, so I remember uh, once... I was looking into uh, the park where my wife and I, we had a, a ring ceremony. Um, we were married back in New York, and I was trying to learn about the history of this park where we had uh, uh, a, a ring ceremony and later a, a reception to, to celebrate our marriage. And I just thought it might be interesting to know a little bit about this park where we had, uh, you know, had this momentous event in our lives. And so I looked back. And I typed in the park's name, and what I read was, the first result was, uh, it's called Letchworth. Letchworth is the name of the park. Letchworth State Park, this is back in the 40s, this, this article came from. Letchworth State Park cleared to receive access POWs. I thought, what the heck? What is that all about? And so I went down this rabbit hole, and you may know this, you you likely do, because here in Utah, there's a a pretty intense connection to this part of history. But during World War II, here in the United States, we housed, or rather imprisoned, uh, almost half a million Axis POWs. We had... Uh, we had German uh, soldiers and officers here uh, incarcerated. We had Italians uh, here. And it was almost without exception across the United States. There was a camp in Ogden. 
there are, in fact, a, a handful of German soldiers who were imprisoned here who died while they were here, and they're buried in the Salt Lake City Cemetery. Uh, anyway, that is just a, a tiny little window into these things that I have learned by going back and looking at these old uh, artifacts, these old archive newspapers. Now, why do I bring that up in conjunction with the closure of the museum? It's because if you went to the museum ever and you wanted to learn uh, about the past or if you wanted to learn about how the news was reported – you know, they call the news sometimes or the newspaper rather the first draft of history. If you wanted to read that first draft or expose yourself somehow to it to learn uh, how things were covered as they were covered, uh, you'd be hard pressed uh, to do so at the museum. And you might find yourself being a little disappointed uh, after having paid $25. Uh, so, again, I'm not that broken up over uh, the, the closure of this museum. And for those of you who are, uh, who, who do enjoy the exhibits, uh, the Berlin Wall, uh, if you're flying through the D.C. area, you'll be able to see that uh, display at Reagan International Airport, as well as Dulles. They're going to bring some over there. So you'll th- there's going to be plenty to see still. You're not going to lose access to the things uh, that did entice you to visit the museum. Uh, but now, you'll be able to see it in a setting where you're not going to have to pay $25. Let me real quickly, though, tell you a uh, uh, story. i got about 60 seconds here. Uh, it has to do with um, Bob Woodward and Elder D. Todd Christofferson of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It also involves uh, KSL News Radio's own Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources. The last time I was in the museum, it was January of this year, uh, Boyd had uh, put together a, uh, what do you call this, like a panel discussion of sorts. And it was Bob Woodward. You know him from, uh, like, all the president's men. He uh, got his hands on some Nixon papers and such. Uh, well, D. Todd Christofferson, it turns out, uh, was a young attorney working with Judge Sirica, who was the judge who first got his hands on the Nixon tapes. And it was D. Todd Christofferson and Judge Sirica out in Washington, D.C., sitting together, sequestered away in a room, who listened to, for the first time, the, the, the tapes of the recordings uh, from inside the White House, where President Nixon, on tape, makes an offer to pay a bribe to obstruct justice. History changed in that moment, and uh, I was uh, fortunate enough in the museum to hear it told firsthand uh, by one of the two men who heard that uh, information for the very first time, uh, a man that you well know, uh, Elder D. Todd Christofferson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So that there, I did have one wonderful experience in the museum. Uh, I will not lose much sleep over its closure, though. Anyway, that's my rant on the museum. Uh, in the next segment, we're going to take a turn. We're going to talk about this somber story again of the, the shooting in the church in Texas and white settlement just west of, uh, uh, <clears throat> well, I'm sorry, in, in Texas. We're going to speak to an ABC News correspondent, Jim Ryan. He's there in Dallas. He's going to give us some details we don't yet have. That's all next here at Fort Worth. That's the city I was trying to remember. Uh, next here on Live Mike, I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.